forgiveness, hope. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you have done for us so that we can gather in this room. Not so burdened by the weight of our sin and shame and, and guilt. But God, you took that weight. You took the guilt and you took the shame. When they beat you to a bloody pulp and you took the sin on the cross so that we could be in this room this morning and sing songs that we have sang with hope with courage, with strength beyond our own. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Preach it, brother. That, uh, that was amazing. That was an amazing worship time. It's amazing when you praise um, when you praise the Lord all week long, when then and then when you come together um, and sing and praise on Sundays, uh, then it's kind of like you know it it compounds <laughs> and it just goes crazy. Uh, but I do have to warn you. I texted Brickus as well that you know you have to be careful when you're singing worship songs at home because this week um, Caleb had his girlfriend from Fredericktown come up, and uh, they come over to the house. And I'm at work, and I come home from work, and the basement is, and I have 15-inch subs. I mean, I got a giant sound system downstairs, home theater and all that. And there, I come in, and the house is shaking, right? And it's worship songs. And him and, and, the, and, and the others, they're downstairs screaming, Worship songs. You were there. Screaming worship songs. Praising the Lord. It was crazy. And then my AC blew. <laughs> and now it's 86 degrees in my house. And I spend time in the pool. And so Melissa's in Florida this weekend. And uh, so I, I, I bought a portable AC and I just have it in the room so that the room is 60 degrees, but everything else is 80-something, and, and it's horrible. But anyway, so, and then I texted Rick that, and he said that's why he doesn't allow worship at home. So that's, that's <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to continue on with, uh, with, with Matthew, where uh, Rick's been preaching. Um, Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, and I, I'm trying, I'm going uh, electronic, going digital, because uh, I'm tired of, of trying to print and air print and everything else, and the printer doesn't want to do this and that and the other, and so forget it. I use that opera. Well, I'm not going to say it because Melissa's probably watching online right now. So anyway, um, Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Let's just get into it. I have a lot. Uh, it's, it's interesting, first, though, but, you know, in all my years, I know, Rick, you've probably had this as well, and anybody else that's ever preached, you know, you go through a passage, and you're like, man, I could preach for ever, but you have to whittle and edit, and, you know, the art of, of, of sermon writing is in the edits and all this, you know, because I could go on, so there'll be some things that you'll think about, 
just realize that, you know, this is what the Lord spoke and, and, and all that. So anyway, Matthew chapter 9, verses 1. Let's go ahead and read. It says, Jesus stepped into a boat. This is NIV as well. Crossed over and came to his own town. Verse 2, some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this time, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 7, when the, uh, then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Let's pray. Father God, I come before you this morning knowing my own issues and my own need for forgiveness, continual. And I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you paid it all. I thank you that you are bigger and better and greater and stronger and all that than anything that we ever come up against. So often we want to use that just simply for our comfort. But Lord, you care about things uh, sometimes that are not what we always want to care about. You care about deeper things, and you see deeper. And so, Lord, I pray for your grace as I preach this morning that your word will, that something will speak to somebody today. In Jesus' name, amen. When I read through this passage, you see a number of applications, a number of possibilities for sermons. In fact, I've preached through this passage. I've preached through Matthew before, and, and I've preached through this passage and, and I've, a couple of times, and each time I've used something different. In fact, or for instance, one uh, sermon, one message, because I was reading and verse 2 really stuck out to me. And uh, you can see the idea of fellowship, of community, of Christian community here. Because verse 2 starts out, some men brought, some men came. Who brought? We don't know. Even Mark and Luke, who give a little bit more expanded uh, storyline here, doesn't say who, but we know there were at least four. Mark says that uh, some men came uh, carrying the paralyzed man on a mat carried by four of them. So we know at least four, and, 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 these, it, it, and we see the idea that these friends saw this guy's need for Jesus and spent their day bringing him to Jesus. Think about the story we just read. Matthew doesn't really get into it a lot, but think about what they had to go through. This guy's dead weight, right? He's not helping himself. He's not being able to walk a little bit. They're carrying this guy. Who knows for how long they've had to go to get here? It could have been from next door, or it could have been from across town or whatever, but they're carrying this guy. And then when they get there, the Bible says in Mark and Luke that the place was so filled uh, uh, the house that Jesus was at, and inside you had the disciples, and then you had, obviously, some of the teachers of the law. They worked their way in because they're the ones that heard them say, your sins are forgiven, and get all mad. And then, and then it spills out onto the street. 
uh, uh, and there's all kinds of people, and they couldn't get to him. And so they climb up either by an outside staircase or by ladders a lot of times, and the roofs would have been flat if you look into the archaeology of it all and, the, and, and, and all that. And uh, even Peter in Acts, it talks about how at the cool of the day, they'd get on top of their little roof area because, you know, their AC broke and it's 86 degrees in the house. And so they'd get up there and, and they would chill out. And so these people find a way and they carry this guy up there and then they, they cause property damage. You think about that? They, 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 they break through someone else's home to get to Jesus. And so we see an idea of community there. But when you read the passage, the overall theme that sticks out is about the forgiveness of sins. It's the first thing Jesus said. And this is actually the focus of Christ more than the physical healing itself. And I love what Pastor Rick said last week when he talks about when he talked about being clear that not all illnesses are demons. Right? When I was in California, I had a guy, if you know the story about the guy that laid next to the pool waiting for the angel to stir the waters, you know that story? And, uh, and, and, and he would try to get in, but he couldn't for whatever reason. I had a guy in California say, that's the demon of hay fever. Hay fever. Where do you get hay fever? That's where he was, because everything has a little demon behind it. Never mind, he couldn't walk, but still. Uh... So I, I, I'm, you know, I like what, what Rick said that, and sometimes God doesn't even doesn't even heal a person in this life. And maybe someone needs to hear this, and, I, and I've, I've gone off on a tangent five minutes in. But maybe because someone needs to hear this, not every trouble in your life, be it physical or a health issue or a financial issue or a relationship issue or a, a, a success issue or you didn't get the promotion or you didn't get this or whatever, not every issue, it's not always because you've done something wrong or not pleasing God. That is a performance-based love, and our God's love is not performance-based. Well, if I just do good enough, God will then. And a lot of times, and it's amazing how when I was listening to like Bot Radio Network and others, the sermons were just adding up all week long about this. Uh, and, and, you know, we have this kind of mindset that, well, I've come to you, Christ. Now it's your turn to reciprocate. And if I don't get the promotion or if I don't get the success or if I don't get a better swing or a better throw or whatever it is, suddenly I must be either having a lack of faith, and that's preached awful lot, or I'm doing something wrong or something like that. And the point is Jesus cares more about your spiritual life than he does these other things. Now, God loves to bless us, but come on. Why do we come to Jesus so we can get stuff or for salvation? Jesus heals a blind man in John chapter 9, and, and, and as he's healing them, the disciples, they come up, they bring him to him, and they say, who sinned, this guy or his parents? He was born blind. Who sinned, Jesus? And Jesus said, neither, dudes. Huh? Probably not dudes, but neither. But so that God's glory would be shown in this guy's life. Jesus said, John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Anyone know? I have overcome the world. Now, I've always wanted to write a sermon series called The Promises of Jesus We Don't Like. 
Because we all focus on the, I have overcome the world promise, don't we? We all focus on the, ah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even though I'm using it out of context because I want to get this car. But we forget the promise that Jesus said before that. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, let me close with this tangent because it's craziness. Jesus, again, is more concerned with your spiritual walk with him than he is our American comfort zone kind of best life now thought process. Take it as you will. You may not like it. There it is. You can always tell Rick not to have me come up anymore. Let's get into forgiveness, shall we? Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8 teaches us about God's forgiveness. So why is God's forgiveness so powerful? I have a whole bunch of points. We'll work our way through them rather quickly. If you write things down, if not, then just kind of write it in your mind. Number one, God's forgiveness deeply heals me. God's forgiveness deeply heals me. So I, I talked about these friends. These friends of this guy, they pick up, they hear that Jesus is in town. He's at this location. Oh, we're going to go. And so they grab this guy. They carry him. They go upstairs. They can't find a way in. They go up to the roof. Imagine being Jesus or the disciples or teachers of the law, and you're in there listening, and you start hearing this. Right, dust has fallen on your head. Judas is going, man, can't we just get the money and go? Why do we got to always deal with stuff like this? And you're sitting in this little house, and all of a sudden, boom, and you see a hand crash through. It would have been like dirt and sand and rocks and stone and all the other stuff that the tops are there. And they dig through, and all of a sudden, you see this hand come through. I mean, Jesus might have got hit with ceiling dust. We don't know. And, and all of a sudden you see a hand come through and it goes back and you see a face. You're looking up going, what is going on? You see a face. Hey, we got a guy up here. And they open it up and they lower this guy. Think, I mean, just think about it. all the trouble they went to. They lower this guy down. And the first thing Jesus says is, take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. And I can see the guys going, wait, what? We didn't come here for forgiveness, Jesus. We came here for a miracle. We came here so this guy, our friend, could walk again. Uh, a few years ago, I really got into podcasts because I'm a machinist at work, and, and I get the blueprints from the engineers, and they're messed up usually, and I fix them all this right, you know, engineers. Anyway, and, you know, get all this stuff, and I program it in, and when that spindle's turning, I'm doing what I want. So I'm, I'm listening to podcasts or whatever. Started listening to a lot of podcasts, and I found this one that I thought was neat for a while, and it was basically a whole mix of old-timey radio shows, like the 30s and 40s, 50s. You know, mom remembers and uh, all, all, all these old-timey, and I thought it was neat because it had the original commercials, you know, for things that are poisonous that we don't do now, <laughs> and all this other stuff. Um, and one radio show was The Shadow. Remember The Shadow? Yes, and all the old people say, yes. The Shadow was a dark, good superhero, make himself invisible, mind, mind control and all this. But anyone remember the sign-off line? The shadow knows, right? Before that, it was what knows, who knows what evil lurks in the heart of men? The shadow knows. Well, here's the tie-in. God knows more than the shadow. God knows more about you than you know about yourself, and that includes what you need. Now, listen. Don't drop your stuff. Listen. These friends 
and I'm assuming the man himself, wanted a physical healing. But Jesus saw something much deeper and more serious than just a physical healing. This guy needed a spiritual healing, right? Jesus not only saw a crippled body, he saw a crippled soul with the weight and the guilt of sin. Rick was talking about earlier about how we can be relieved of that through Christ. This guy couldn't walk physically, but he also couldn't walk spiritually. And I heard, I heard someone on the radio talk about, you know, the. I mean, listen, if it was just about the physical healing, God could have healed this guy, said, get up, take your mat, and go home. And that guy got up and then started walking home and walked right off a cliff. Or walked out in the middle of the street and got ran over by a chariot. I mean, he hadn't had to deal with that before, so now it's something new. And so Jesus sees something deeper than we typically see. And God's forgiveness deeply heals me. Number two, God's forgiveness lifts the weight of guilt. God's forgiveness lifts that weight of guilt. Look at verse two again. should be up here. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Every person carries the weight of sin. We are born with a will that is bent towards sin. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that want to argue this point, and they still debate it, and they say it's not true, and you want to talk about the nature versus nurture debate. They want to talk about, well, it's just all dependent on culture and what is wrong and what is right, depending on each culture. And you talk about people that talk uh, uh, like Islam and, and Buddhism and Hinduism, and they have like this clean slate doctrine. And when you're born, you're born with a clean slate, and then you start building up what is known as your karmic debt. And let me preach on my soapbox here a little bit. If you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, the word karma should not come out of your mouth. Karma is not a Christian idea. It is not a biblical idea. And the West, we don't even use it right. We use it as a you reap what you sow. That's the principle of reciprocity, which is found in Scripture. Oh, look at that, instant karma. Oh, is it true? What about all the riches and all the corporate ridiculousness and the government? All oh, the men, they're living a high life. Where's their karma? And karma does not take into account God's grace. Aren't you glad that karma hasn't come and attacked you yet? Karma is only useful when it's someone else. I want karma to get Steve. And karma, in reality, if you look it up in the religion, is karmic debt. This idea that we're born with a clean slate, and as we mess up through life, we build up a karmic debt that has to be paid. Anyway, it's my soapbox. I can't stand it. But, but we know that we're born with a will that is bent towards sin. Who teaches my toddler-aged Caleb back there when he goes and grabs a cookie or something to run and hide when he was a toddler? Still does it now, don't you? I didn't teach him to run and hide. That's built in. Adam and Eve did the same thing right off the bat. We sinned, let's run, because you know. And we are always going to choose the way of our own selfishness. 
But Jesus is ready to deal with all of that weight, all of our sin, big and small. He's ready to lift the burden, no matter the size of our sins. Sometimes people, including Christians, we can become arrogant because we're always comparing ourselves to the next guy instead of to Christ right? We're comparing ourselves to a sinful person. Let's be honest. Who do we always compare ourselves to? The one who's worse, right? We always justify, well, at least I'm not as bad as, you know, that guy over there. I mean, that guy's a druggie. At least I'm not as bad as, you know, I'm not a Hitler. Well, I'm glad. I'm, you know, anyone here directly responsible for millions of lives? No. Okay, so yeah, you're not a Hitler. At least I'm not a Bin Laden. At least I'm not a Rick Pirtle. Right, Andy? But you know what? Jesus died so that if a Hitler or a Bin Laden or a Rick Pirtle or a Dan Rather or a Ted Turner or a Bill Maher or a Bill Gates or a Joe Biden or a Nancy Pelosi or an AOC or an Anthony Brown would one day heed the call of Christ and be saved, we would see them in heaven. That devotion that Rick wanted to really share his convictions with this morning, yeah, it hit. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Ain't that amazing? When I preach on that, when I, when I would teach on the doctrine of salvation, it would be weeks and weeks long, because listen, we can get into this forever. But I always talk about, do you realize when someone gets saved, that is a spiritual nuclear reaction. Think about everything. If you've studied it, all the big words, right, and all the things that happen, that is like a nuclear reaction that happens to that person's soul. Everything, theologically speaking, that's happening at that moment is amazing. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Lifts the weight of guilt. Number three, God's forgiveness restores me to God. God's forgiveness restores us to God. So Jesus tells this guy that his sins are forgiven, right? They come in, they climb up, they bang down, they drop the guy. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And all the church people hear it and they get up in arms. And they start complaining about that sentence. Whoa, what's going on here? This guy's blaspheming. And Jesus basically has to say, and you can look in the, in the verses yourself, Jesus basically has to say, okay, okay, hold on, guys. Hold on. What's easier? What's easier, fellow teachers? What's easier, teacher of the law? What's easier, preacher, to say your sins are forgiven with, with your mouth? With, you know, to say with your vocal cords and air flowing through and moving your mouth muscles and all that and different ways to form words that we understand and can communicate, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, I don't know, let me see, how about get up and walk? Which is easier to say? Words? We can all say we're forgiven. Or to say get up and walk. And then he says this in verse 6. But since you can't see a spiritual healing, this is what this is, is. Let me prove my spiritual authority with a physical demo. All right? He says, but I want you to know. He says, I, Jesus, want you, teachers of the law, to know that the Son of Man, 
Jesus' favorite title for himself on earth, has authority. <laughs> right? Not just some dude talking. He's got authority to forgive sins. The problem, in, in other words, he is saying, since you can't see what happens inwardly, let me show you my authority with the physical demonstration of healing. The problem for us is a holy God cannot tolerate sin. And I know that's not preached a lot, and uh, you know, we, we don't hear it a lot. The emergent church or whatever it's called kind of came out and they kind they wanted to do away with all this stuff. And and you know, we want to talk about, oh well, you know, man, God's just lucky to have you. God's lucky to have a person like Rick or, or, or Steve or, or anybody, you know. And, and God is a holy God. And the issue for us is that a holy God cannot tolerate sin. A holy God does not tolerate sin. And we get saved and we come in and then we start getting this thing, I got God in my back pocket type of thing. I know I do all the time. Got God in my back pocket. Oh, forgive me. I call it the forgive me. The forgive. I don't even say forgive me slow enough and respectfully enough. It comes out forgive me. I forgive me. I forgive me. Yeah. That's not respect. God is a holy God. Yeah. And anytime in scripture when you see that someone finally comes face to face with the glory of God, what do they do? They fall down as if dead and say, Woe is me. And we're all like, I'm an American, baby. Uh, come on, God, what's up? No, no, God's a holy God, and he does not allow sin into heaven, which is why we need forgiveness and salvation. Now, I know this is kind of a salvation message, and it is true. You cannot have a relationship when there is sin between you and God. It is what separates us from God, who made the rules. I'm sorry. God made the rules. He made the law. He made the standard. We can complain all we want to. He made the standard. I can complain about the speed limit going down the road. I didn't make the standard. I can't do anything about it. God made the standard. He is a holy God. Sin separates us from that, which is why we need reconciliation through Jesus Christ. But for the Christian, for those of us here sitting there going, yeah, I've heard this before. It's almost time. You can't have a growing relationship when there is sin between you and God. I know personally. I mean, I'm just walking out of my burnout stage every time Rick stands up here and talks about people who are getting burnt out and how, you know, it's because they blah, 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 and I want to stand up and back and say, you shut it. You don't know. Think you're special. But it's true. And I'm beat up. We need God's forgiveness, and as a Christian, we can we have that relationship, but it's not going to grow. The fellowship is damaged when we're harboring sin. Listen, even though Jesus was called the friend of sinners, he did not condone sin. You hear this argument too. People making doctrines on what they can't find. Oh, Jesus never condemned the, and then, you know, fill in the blank of whatever particular issue that you're wanting to do. Oh, well, it never says Jesus went to the bathroom either. Does that make every time we go to the bathroom we're sinning? I mean, you know? He never accepted sin. And what Jesus did say is, go and sin no more. 
God sees through our sin, and he offers a way of forgiveness through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Matthew, or, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, I'm going to talk about this for a little bit. It's a nutshell. We could spend weeks here. But you see, when Jesus became flesh and came to earth, he gave up part of his glory, but not his authority. His authority was given to him by the Father. He even says... That's why Jesus could command the wind and the waves and have the authority to drive out the demons and heal and to forgive sins. And some may ask, well, why can't I just forgive myself? Because it's good to do sometimes, right? I mean, you can't harbor something forever. It leads to depression. It leads to, to anxiety. It can lead to suicidal thoughts, if not the action, all this other stuff. And yes, while we may need to forgive ourselves for mistakes that we've already asked forgiveness for and repented from and accidents and whatnot, here's one main reason why you cannot forgive yourself spiritually because you don't have the authority to pay the debt. You do not have the authority to pay. There's a price. We all know this verse, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. We're going to stop there for a second, though. We're not going to read the rest of it. The rest of it's too nice right now. <laughs> we'll come back to that. For the wages of sin is death. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Check this out. It's one of my favorite verses for people in the emergent church that wants to remove Christ from the cross. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Because, see, you got people, I used to listen to this guy named Rob Bell, and he made, he made these Numa series, you know, and they were pretty good. And then he just stinking lost his mind and fell off the wagon and bought into all this stuff about how you don't need Christ on the cross and all this other stuff. And the Bible says right here, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So let me put into a super tiny nutshell the atomic reaction that is all of this put together because we could spend weeks. Sin requires a price. The price is death. In the old days under the law, God set up a way to achieve temporary forgiveness in the sacrifice of certain animals. And so they'd come and they'd have the sacrifice on the day of atonement. The high priest would lay his hands on, on the head of the goat or whatever, and, and, and he would like, you know, transfer the sins of the nation, and then they'd kick it and say, get out of here, lassie. And the goat would run off into the wilderness in, in, in a... In a act of carrying away the sins of the nation. All this is a shadow for Christ. And they had to be as perfect as possible, right? You couldn't just go out to, you couldn't go out to the road and find some roadkill, you know, find some animal that's been ran over by a chariot and come over and bring this to God and say, all right, here, here priest, here's, here's my sacrifice. No, it had to be your best. It was called a sacrifice for a reason because it had to cost you something. People have asked, why does it require blood? Because that's how serious sin is. That's how serious it is. And God wants us to see that and know that. So he says, here's a sacrificial system. The problem is animals can't atone, eternally atone for our sins. And so they had to do it over and over and over and over and over and over. But all this time, God had been working in the background. He'd been working out his plan. He had been working it and working it. He'd been bringing in other nations, all this stuff. You start getting crossroads. You start getting all this. You get a center of civilization at the time, all this other stuff. In Galatians 4, Paul writes, and when the time was right, 
God sent his son, Yesu, Yeshua, God the son, the God-man, 100% man, 100% God. God sends his son when the time was right, came to earth, living a holy, perfect, and pleasing life to God, the Father, and then laying down his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, there are all kinds of big words we can use, propitiation, and you've got all of the, uh, of the uh, justification and, and reconciliation. Uh, you know, I can't even think of them right now. Glorification, sanctification, sacrificial atonement. You've got all these ideas. But let's just leave it here. You had this line. God set it up this way. It comes down. Here comes Christ. Lives a holy, perfect life. Lives, dies, rises again. And he says in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. Do we got that back there? John 10, 17 and 18? It's Jill's fault if we don't. No, just Hebrews? Okay, hold on. No, that's not. Anyway, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Listen to verse 18. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So we have Christ as the perfect, final, atoning sacrifice. Everything required to pay for our salvation was completed by and through Christ on the cross. When Christ is on the cross and Christ says, it is finished. It's not finished in hell. It's not finished in some other plane or whatever people. It's finished on the cross. He says the Greek word is tetelestai. It means paid in full. It means it is a legal term. Your debt is paid. You get that credit card statement and there's a big, not red anymore, it's a big stamp that says paid in full. And our, our sin, our, our, our separation from God is now brought, reconciled back to God. And Christ on the cross, it is finished, completed that work and bam, paid in full. Your sins are paid in full because he has the authority to. Number four, let's move on. God's forgiveness gives me an opportunity to start over. Or if you will, for the believer, kind of restart or what we call rededicate. Look at verse 6b again. Jesus tells, look at the last sentence there. Jesus says, get up, take your mat and go home. You know, when I read that, because of my warped way, I think, why does Jesus say, take your mat? Why, why does he say, get up and take your mat? Man, you know, is there a, is there a symbol there? Mm. Mm, Holy Spirit, show me the symbol. What, what is it tying to? Is it tying back to the 12 tribes? Is it tying back to something in Habakkuk? You know, where's it going? And then I finally come to the conclusion that I think Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and go home. is because he says, don't leave your trash here. This is not your house, right? You've broken into someone else's house. So when you are healed and you get up, you take that mat that you don't need anymore, and you go on home. 
Uh, and so that's, I, I mean, you know, you can try to work up something special if you want, but that's what I think it is. Forgiveness gives us a fresh start, right? <laughs> Repentance leading to salvation is called being born again. It's a fresh start. On October 17th, 1978, Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, was forgiven by the U.S. government. He died in 1889. You know, it's a little late, but the good news for us is we don't have to wait. God offers that forgiveness right now. So if you are here this morning and you've sat in this chair and you've kind of thought about it. If God is calling you, why wait? Don't wait until you're a skeleton. At this point, it's too late. Why wait? But for the rest of us who are Christians, I've been there. I've, you know, I'm sitting in the seat, basically a salvation message going on, and you tend to clock off, right? You tend to clock out. You tend to turn off because you've been there. You got saved. Man, I know this stuff. Jesus died for my sin, John 3, 16. You know, woo-woo, I got it. I know the Roman road. And, and, and we, can, we can turn off, but don't turn off. Don't turn off. Because this is just as much for you as it is for someone who's sitting here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ in that personal salvation way. Because we can impede our fellowship with God when we harbor sin. We impede it. We get in the way. The relationship doesn't change, but the fellowship does. And I know that well. I don't even know why I'm up here. I don't know if it's God's grace of second chance or if Rick just wants a break sometimes. Or if I like to stroke my own ego and I'm like, hey, dude, let me preach Matthew chapter 9. I want to preach Matthew chapter 9. Yeah. You know, the parable of the prodigal son is a story that is, it's a parable. It's a story that, that, that is most often used for, in relation to the, the unbeliever, the lost, coming to Christ. You hear about it at uh, an Easter, you know, a lot of preachers will use that in Easter and everything. But I also think that it's more accurately used to portray the Christian who has strayed and needs to come home. I think it can at least be used for that, if that's, if not necessarily the more accurate way. Think about the prodigal son. And we don't have it up there. Just if you know it, let's think about it. At some point, there was a trigger for this guy. We don't know what it was, but at some point, something triggered him. Maybe it was dad being, being me. Maybe dad wanted some chores done. Maybe dad wanted some, I don't know. But at some point, this guy got triggered and he thought to himself, man, you know, 
if I could just get my part of the inheritance, man, I'm out of here. And don't say we've never been there. We've been there. Man, you know, mom and stinking dad, they don't know nothing nowadays. I can't wait until I get old enough, man. I'm gone. <laughs> I'm going to get on my bicycle and go. And, and, and this guy had something that triggered him, and, and, and he thought, man, I'm going to get my part of the inheritance, and I'm going to get out of here. And then that day came, and somehow, who knows what, but something happened, and he goes up to dad and says, I want my part, and I'm gone. And so dad gives the part, and then he goes. Don't be too prideful to think that it couldn't happen to you. It happened to me. I jacked up my witness, lost the ministry that God gave me. I mean, all that, you know. Stand up here preaching this exact same thing, and then I go and do all the things I preached against. It's amazing how fickle we are as humans. Boy, I tell you what, if it wasn't for God's amazing grace, <laughs> right? I mean, I thought this so many times. Dude, if it wasn't for God's grace, I'm a dead man walking straight up. I am not even close to being good enough to be able to get myself through the doors. It could happen to Rick. It could happen to any one of us. It happened to all the greats of the Bible. I mean, Moses hit the rock instead of talking to it, not allowed to go in the promised land. Abraham lied about his wife twice. Elijah, who watched God bring fire, rain fire down on the prophets of Baal, run when a woman, and not to be mean, because you guys are pretty awesome, and, you know, you go up to, you know, Jezebel is like Ronda Rousey or something. You know? But here he is, he watches God rain fire down and then runs away because Jezebel gets mad. I think that was Elijah, right? Something triggers us, and in that moment, it's just too much. We're going along, and Rick is right when he talks about it, and you know, it's not all of a sudden, it's a little series of erosions, of erosions, of erosions. Started 180 in the spirit, and then I started trying to maintain it in the flesh. And I start trying to do things in my own strength, and all this other stuff, and all the while I'm eroded. And then something happens, and there's a trigger. A lot of times it's death in the family. Most of the time it's some sort of death in the family, or death of a loved one, or something like that. And that triggers, and bam! That's what happened, and we go, oh, I can't take it anymore, I'm going to the right! When we get off the path. Or maybe because you didn't get that promotion you were wanting. Or maybe it's because you didn't get the success you wanted. Or maybe it's because you don't have the finances you think you should have. Or maybe because your AC goes out and it's 86 degrees in your house. You're like, why God? Why? Or maybe it could be anything. A health issue. You know how many times? You know how many times that Melissa and I, and I don't know about Melissa specifically, but me, you know how many times I have sat there and said, man, God, if you would just heal Melissa. We've come up. You know how many times we've knocked and we've asked and we've seeked and Rick preaches that message? You know, you know, we've done this for 12 years. Come on, God. And we come up and we, and we, we, you know how many times we've been anointed with oil? You know how many times we've prayed? And you know how easy it would be to sit there and blame myself for lack of faith or blame Melissa for lack of faith? But sometimes God's design is to get the glory out of the suffering. And it stinks. And I don't like it, but I don't have the authority. God does. And I'm okay with that. Something triggers us, and in that moment, we take a wrong turn. 
But the good news is that just like the prodigal son, we can, as believers, we can repent of our sins. We ask for those forgiveness of that turning away, and we just come back home. I'm going to do something different. This wasn't planned. I sort of, but not really. And then I wasn't, and then I'm going to. If the band wouldn't mind coming up and playing. I still got one more part. One more point. It's this long. We'll be out of here soon. But if the band would come up and play, it's completely out of the ordinary. I'm sorry. Jill even asked me this morning. I don't normally, I know that we don't normally like do altar calls or anything like that. The band's going to play. And I know that I'm not the only one that got triggered at some point in their life and kind of went to the right or the left. But I'm standing up here this morning as an opportunity to just be transparent with you all. I mean, Rick's not perfect either. Rick jacks up all the time. Maybe he talks about when people pull in front of him and stuff, he loses his religion. But if, if you're a believer, and maybe you've just strayed, you know, you've strayed a little bit. Or maybe it's because you've been counting on God because, you know, you're really putting your faith in what he can give you and your stuff and all that. You know, we need to repent of that. And if you just feel the need, you know, these, these little steps here, this thing right here, it's just a green carpet, whatnot, but it can become an altar. And you don't have to. But let me tell you something right now. There is a difference between sitting in a chair knowing that you should be doing something and the action of getting up publicly and making a witness of yourself in front of others that yes, I need forgiveness and I need to kind of get back on the path. So in this song, we're gonna stand. Rick's and Andy and the band are gonna play and you either, and sing. But if the Lord is leading, I want to pray with someone about my own, about my own. So come on. I've carried a burden for you. Gosh. got that much, I promise. It'll be quick. Let's pray. Father, you are an amazing God. Your grace and your mercy that covers, I don't even know why sometimes, but you are amazing. I thank you for everyone here. 
thank you for reconciliation and love and the outpouring of love and, and prayer and forgiveness. And Lord, it's what's happened this morning. And I give you praise. And I thank you so much. Lord, it's not just an emotional thing just so we can get an emotional high. Sometimes we just need it. Father, I pray for all those that came forward, and I pray for all those that didn't, Lord, when we are where we, we are where we're at, and we know. And I pray for our will to seek yours in all of our ways. I gotta go back to work tomorrow. And I gotta go back different because of who you are. And as we all get ready to sit and I close this out, Father, I pray that your spirit still be on us this morning right now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We're almost done. Yes. We're going to close out from here. Get off the stage. The last thing. The last thing. And... God's forgiveness renews the joy of praise. Amen. 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 Look at Matthew 9, 7 and 8. It says, Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Now, I like what Luke chapter 5 says better. Look at Luke 5, 25 and 26. Luke gone and goes into more detail. He says, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on. So see, Luke tells us this guy obeyed Jesus. Matthew just forgot about it. But Luke says he took what he had been lying on. As a reminder, Mitch was talking about, we were talking about it up here. As a reminder, this is where you came from. Don't forget. He took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, and I always read this. I think, I can't say it, but I think it in a Sherlock Holmes era English. We have seen remarkable things today. I don't know why I do that. That's the way I think of it. Sin destroys our ability to praise and take joy in God. We try to run and hide. But when we continually live in a state of forgiveness and enjoy that forgiveness through repenting, we live in joy. And joy that is not seared conscience kind of joy, because we can get a seared conscience where we sin enough where we just don't care anymore, but in a true joy. This much. The prodigal son, when he finally realized where he had gone wrong, came back home, Father was waiting, and when he got back home, welcomed home, had a giant party where they killed the fattened calf, and now because of God's forgiveness and the feeling of that forgiveness from today, I'm going to go down to El Lobo Rojo and eat me some steak fajitas. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this time and opportunity that you are an awesome and great God who has words to describe in our human tongue how great you are. I pray that as we leave today, we take this with us and we remember when tomorrow comes. <sighs> Monday, 
work. Mm. But I'm thankful that your forgiveness covers us too. Let us not take grace for granted. It is not a license to sin. But help us to strive and keep walking forward in the joy knowing that your forgiveness is awesome. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One with God.